Hi, this is Corey Turner. And along with my wife, Simone, we are the senior pastors of Numa Church. I wanted to thank you for listening to our podcast today. You're about to hear a message from one of our team that we pray builds your faith and empowers you to follow Jesus more closely. Enjoy the message. Who loves the Bible? Great. Well, I want you to open with me. If you're not filled with the Spirit, I'm going to pray for you at the end. You're going to get baptized in the Spirit. So there's that. Um, 2 Chronicles chapter 20. I'm going to read 23 verses, which is like old school. Um, But this is an amazing passage, absolutely amazing passage of Scripture. 2 Chronicles 21 to 23. After this, the Moabites and Ammonites and with them some of the Meunites came against Jehoshaphat for battle. So men came and told Jehoshaphat, a great multitude is coming against you from Edom, from beyond the sea. Behold, they are in Hazazon Tamar, that is En Gedi. Then Jehoshaphat was afraid and he set his face to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. And Judah assembled to seek help from the Lord. From all the cities of Judah, they came to seek the Lord. And Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new court. And he said, O Lord, God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. In your hand are power and might so that none is able to withstand you. Did you not, our God, drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel? Give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend. Do you love that? Abraham, your friend. And they have lived in it and have built for you in it a sanctuary for your name, saying, if disaster comes upon us, the sword, judgment or pestilence or famine, we will stand before this house and before you for your name is in this house. Cry out to you in our affliction and you will hear and save. And now behold, the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, whom you would not let Israel invade when they came from the land of Egypt and whom they avoided and did not destroy, behold, They reward us by coming to drive us out of your possession, which you have given us to inherit. Oh, our God, will you not execute judgment on them? For we are powerless against this great horde that is coming against us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Verse 13. Meanwhile, all Judah stood before the Lord with their little ones, their wives, and their children. I love that there's the sound of that in this room right now. And the spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah, son of Benaiah, son of Jael, son of Mataniah, a Levite of the sons of Jael, a Levite of the sons of Asaph, in the midst of the assembly. And he said, listen, all Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem and King Jehoshaphat, thus says the Lord to you, do not be afraid and do not be dismayed at this great horde, for the battle is not yours but God's. Tomorrow go down against them. Behold, they will come up by the ascent of Ziz. You will find them at the end of the valley, east of the wilderness of Jeruel. You will not need to fight in this battle. Stand firm. Hold your position and see the salvation of the Lord on your behalf, O Judah and Jerusalem. Do not be afraid. Do not be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them and the Lord will be with you. Then Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground. And all Judah and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem fell down before the Lord, worshipping the Lord. And the Levites of the Kohathites and the Korahites stood up to praise the Lord, the God of Israel, with a very loud voice. 20. They rose early in the morning and went out into the wilderness of Tekoa. 
And when they went out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God and you will be established. Believe his prophets and you will succeed. And when he had taken counsel with the people, he appointed those who were to sing to the Lord and praise him in holy attire. So they went before the army and say, Give thanks to the Lord for his steadfast love endures forever. And when they began to sing and praise, the Lord set an ambush against the men of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, who had come against Judah so that they were routed. For the men of Ammon and Moab rose against the inhabitants of Mount Seir, devoting them to destruction. And when they had made an end of the inhabitants of Seir, they all helped to destroy one another. If you love titles for a message, here's mine. Worship is a weapon. Here in our passage, we see a people who are worshipping in the midst of warfare. You know, it's illogical. It seems illogical to worship in these situations, but it's also powerful because worship is a weapon that confuses our enemy. I want to suggest to you today that when you feel like you're in the boiling pot, worship is a weapon that confuses your enemy. You see, when we choose to worship God, particularly in the midst of a battle, we make a choice that Lucifer or Satan did not and could not make. Satan's original assignment when he was known as Lucifer, he was light bearer, that's what Lucifer means. He was one of three archangels who was around the throne of God. And his role, he was iridescent in his being. Um, Historians and theologians tell us that his being was like a mirror, that as he moved, he made all the sounds of worship with his body. And his role in the throne room of heaven was to catch the doxa, the glory of God on his reflective being, and then bounce it back out to God's created world and people, making the sound of worship with his being, reflecting God's glory on creation. But what happened was that Lucifer wanted the glory for himself. So rather, rather than reflecting it, he absorbed God's glory into himself because pride entered his heart. And so the Bible tells us that Satan's assignment was changed. We know from John 10.10 that his current assignment is to steal, kill, and destroy. So what happened in between? Pride destroyed Lucifer's calling and it changed his assignment. You see, pride and worship cannot go together because worship is the laying down of our pride. And having pride in our hearts can also change our assignment because the Bible tells us that God actively resists pride. I don't know about you, but I've got enough coming against me in my life. I don't need God himself actively resisting me. So pride in my life will cause God to actively resist me. Ray Hughes said, if pride turned angels into demons, guess what it can do to you and me? So when we give our worship to God, when Satan is working hard to destroy your life, it disorients him and it wounds him in a way that no other weapon does. Why? Because he wanted to be the object of your worship. So when you give it to God, when he's trying to pull you out of God's presence, it presses all his buttons. It wounds him in a very particular way. Now, in the context of this long passage, long but awesome passage we've read today, we've got a young king. He was very early in his reign. He just made a whole bunch of judicial and religious reforms that very much pleased the heart of God. And yet 
he finds himself in a situation where he's got not one but multiple nations and armies coming against him a coalition that outnumbers his army by like six why is that an important detail because you can be doing everything right in your life and still find yourself facing a battle have you noticed that we're like looking for the secret sin, looking for the what have I done wrong if this is coming against me. No, you can be doing everything right and have opposition coming against you. And when that happens, we're faced with the same opportunity as this king. Will we exercise our faith and worship in the midst of the battle? Let's look together at what Jehoshaphat does when he's faced with these overwhelming odds. Verse three, I love this. He says, Jehoshaphat was afraid. I love that the Bible can admit that. It's okay for us to admit that we're afraid. It's what we do with our fear. And we read here that what he does is he sets his face, he seeks the Lord, he calls a fast, and he assembles all the people together. We read together in verse 13 that there's the wives and all the children, everybody gathered together. In other words, his solution when he was faced with an incredible battle wasn't, I think I need to take a break from being king. I think I need to take a break from church. He went, now let's have church. I want you to get all the husbands, all the wives and all the kids and get together because I know when I come into God's presence, I receive perspective. So he gathers all the people together and he's like, yeah, let's do church. And then he begins to pray. In verse six, he says, oh Lord, God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. In your hand are power and might so that none is able to withstand you. What was Jehoshaphat doing here? He was doing what he knew to do, which Psalm 100 verse 3 tells us to do. He was entering his gates with thanksgiving and entering the new court, our, our chapter tells us, entering his courts with praise. You know, when we don't bring thanksgiving and praise, it's actually like worshipping out of position. What do I mean by that? There is a Levitical and Davidic order to how we worship, why we do things the way we do them in church. So you'll notice that today's first songs were all about praising God because there's an order. The way it worked was in the temple, they would praise their way in through the gate, then they would thank their way or thank their way in through the gate, praise their way into the next court before they came into the Holy of Holies to worship God. So sometimes when we don't do the thanksgiving and praise and we enter straight into worship, we can find it a little bit hard to engage because we're trying to violate a biblical worship order. Because it breaks the ground in our hearts. It breaks the hard soil in our hearts. We come in closer and closer when we enter with the password of praise is how the message puts it. When we bring thanksgiving. It's not about tempo. It's not about whether it's doof doof. It's about the theme of the songs we sing that bring us into position. Do you know that if we don't bring thanksgiving and praise, it would be like you standing out in the car park and the band's in here and the manifest presence of God is falling and you're out there trying to engage. It's weird. We come all the way in and we use thanksgiving and we use praise. Funnily enough, those first two songs aren't an opportunity for you to get a car park. I know, hilarious, right? They're actually designed to help our hearts soften up and open up to what God wants to do in our midst. 
You know, there's an Old Testament word for praise. It's the word halal. And it means to praise by listing out and celebrating with claps and shouts the positive attributes or actions of God. Have you ever been in a worship service and at the end of a song, the worship is like, come on, clap your hands and lift a shout of praise. And you're like, oh, they've run out of things to say again because they say that every time. No, what they're actually doing is leading you in praise. And what it does when we clap our hands and we shout, which is biblical, and we tell God who he is to us. And Pastor Jason led us in that before. Tell God who he is to you. It builds faith for the future based on who God has been for us in the past. And this is what Jehoshaphat was doing. You see, the enemy has a sneaky little strategy that I like to call destruction by distraction. Anyone else ever get distracted in worship or is it just me? (laughs) So we need to understand that what we fix our eyes on will determine the outcome. This is why verse 12 is so important. It's like the pivot point of this whole account. Jehoshaphat says, we don't know what to do, but we fix our eyes on you. I've noticed in my life that pride cannot admit, I don't know what to do. Pride affects what the eyes are fixed on. Worship takes the posture of humility and humility chooses to fix one's eyes on Jesus and to be able to say, I don't know what to do, but my eyes are fixed on you. You know, it would have been very easy for Jehoshaphat to fix his eyes on the natural. Uh, Historians actually tell us that he was high up on a hill and he could see the armies approaching in the valley. But instead of fixing his eyes on that, He took his eyes off the natural and he made a decision to set his eyes on the author and the perfecter of his faith. Think about Peter in Matthew 14. Remember the story where the disciples are in the boat and a storm comes up and then Jesus comes walking on the water and Peter's like, Lord, if that is really you, tell me to get out of the boat. And Jesus says one word back to Peter, come. So Peter steps out of the boat and while his eyes are fixed on Jesus, he walks on water. The moment he puts his eyes on the wind and the waves around him, he begins to sink and Jesus reaches down and pulls him up. You see, what we fix our eyes on will determine the outcome. You know, worship in its simplest form is revelation and response. Therefore, a healthy revelation of who God is will equal a healthy worship life. I have people ask me all the time that how do you worship lead every week and stay fresh? Well, I've discovered this secret. If you're finding worship hard, don't try harder, look longer. Don't try and produce something in your flesh. Just look at his face. Your natural response will be to worship. You won't be able to hold yourself back if you get a fresh glimpse of Jesus' face. And it's when all of Jehoshaphat and all of Judah are together, they're praising and they're praying. They've been fasting. It's like when we do revival conference, you know, we're all being coming together for meetings and we're praying, we've been fasting and then God moves powerfully. This is what was happening here. And the prophet speaks. What's really interesting here is if you look at verse 14 with me, the prophetic word comes through Jehaziel. And it takes great length to describe who he is. It's like he's the son of such and such, he's the son of such and such, he's the son of such and such. It's like the never-ending sentence. The reason that the scripture is pointing this out is because he wasn't a known prophet. 
He was a singer. The prophetic word was coming through a singer. The strategy for warfare was coming through a worshiper. It's epic. And he says, don't be afraid for the battle is not yours, but God's. You will not need to fight this battle. Stand firm and hold your position and see the salvation of the Lord on your behalf. Do not be afraid and do not be dismayed. We read in the passage that their response was that all of Israel fell down. This is the word hawa. It means to posture ourselves in such a way with reverence and respect that we put our head below our heart. In other words, we're telling our logic. What my eyes don't see is not ruling my worship response. I'm laying aside what I can figure out and I'm worshiping out of my heart response to Jesus. There is going to come a time in every believer's worship life when logic must bow to faith, when logic must bow to worship. This is exactly what they did. And sometimes we just have to dethrone human wisdom and elevate our faith in God. How did they do it? They sang a song. We see in verse 18 to 19, actually, that as everyone bowed down, the Levites, which was like the worship band of the day, they got up on their feet and they started praising, the scripture says, really loudly. You know, when the whole family's together, can't you just imagine everyone's like on their face worshiping God and then the band gets up and they start banging the drums and playing the song really loud that like Uncle Johnny's up the back, like, oh my goodness, the worship team. Why have they always got to be so loud? But this is what the scripture tells us happened and the Lord responded to it. There's a time to be loud in God's presence. Psalm 66 says, make a joyful noise to, to the Lord, all the earth. When the whole earth makes a joyful noise, pretty loud. And then there's times to be silent, to be still, to know that he is God. There's room for all of it in a well-rounded worship life. And I've discovered that the heart of God loves a persevering worshiper who when overwhelmed by many troubles is overwhelmed even more by the beauty, the majesty, the goodness, power and the faithfulness of God. Because what man finds illogical, our God finds irresistible. The very thing that man goes, that makes no sense. God's like, I cannot resist that. I'm going to pull my presence out right there. What does Jehoshaphat do? He takes God at his word that he will not need to fight, that God will fight for him. And guess who he sends out at the front of the army? The singers. These are the Levites, the precious little beautiful-handed Levites who normally stay behind while everybody else goes to battle taking care of the temple. And he's like, that's who I'm going to put right at the front. Now, I've worked with a lot of singers in my day. Let me tell you, when i got multiple armies coming against me, not quite who I'm thinking of as my security. Not quite who I'm thinking is going to be able to protect me. It was illogical, but to God, it was irresistible. So the singers go out at the head of the army. And they sang, verse 21, give thanks to the Lord for his steadfast love endures forever. Do you know that that song they sang was not even a new song? This was a song that had been sung under David's rule, under Solomon's rule. It was like the shout to the Lord of the day. It was like the shout Jesus on the mountains of the day where everyone was singing. I can guarantee you in a tribe that size, there were some people like, are you kidding me, this song? Are you joking me that I got to go into battle and sing that one song that I cannot stand? 
And yet God spoke and he said, this is the song I want on your lips. This is the weapon of warfare for today. You know, I love that our worship leaders at Numa Church, they're not just picking random songs off some chart-topping thing. They're seeking the face of God and going, what do you want your bride confessing this weekend? Which means I can come in with such confidence and go, I don't particularly like this song, but that's God's chosen weapon of today. And there are battles in my life I need to see brought to naught. So I'm going to raise my hands and I'm going to sing with all of my heart. And the word says that in response, the coalition turned on one another in confusion. Why? We've already talked about it. Worship confuses our enemy. Have you ever wondered how many of your enemies have been overcome on your behalf as you've stood in this room and worshipped God. Here's a more sobering thought. Have you ever wondered how many battles you've faced because you didn't worship God? Because you didn't lift a song? Maybe it seems illogical to you today to lift up a song because you're like, but Stacey, you haven't heard me sing. Trust me, I'm blessing the church by not singing. (laughs) You know, God's not up there like, oh, she missed that C. I don't think I can pour out a miracle. He's not up there with like some little scorecard with the angels, like the voice, oh, spin my chair and produce a miracle if they sing right. That's not how he works. He's looking at your heart posture. Psalm 100 verse 1, make a joyful noise to the Lord. It's not our skill he's responding to. It's our faith. So if you can't sing for crackers, We love you anyway, and don't be robbed of your victory today. That's breaking something off somebody right now. Who you come late to worship because you're like, well, it's better for everyone if I just don't sing. You need to get in here on time and you need to lift your song in the corporate setting and God's going to break things in your life. You know, I think of Paul and Silas in Acts 16. They've been beaten. They've been thrown in a dark cell. They're restrained. They're laying in stocks, laying bolt upright because that's how they've been restrained. And guess what they do? They begin to pray and to sing. It's illogical, isn't it? But God finds it absolutely irresistible. One of the New Testament words for worship is the word proskuneo. It's made up of two words. It means to kiss towards. The image, the word picture it painted for people of the time was when a dog licks its master's hand in love. It was to kiss towards. As Paul and Silas were in a prison cell, they began to kiss towards God in the most illogical of circumstances and God came close. Have you ever tried to kiss somebody long distance? Yeah, it's really weird, people. Don't try it. God doesn't want to do long distance worship with you. To kiss towards, you have to come up close and personal. They were restrained. They couldn't move. So their worship drew his presence down into their prison cell. And not only were they set free, but every other prisoner was set free to why? Illogical to man, irresistible to God. And so I don't know what you're locked up in today. I don't know what's coming against you. But have you ever considered that maybe it's not a prayer that's going to bring you breakthrough. Maybe it's not fasting this time that's going to bring a breakthrough. Maybe it's a song. Maybe it's a song this time that's going to bring your breakthrough. I love what Bill Johnson says. The entire realm of darkness could be forever wiped out with a word. 
But God chose to defeat Satan through those made in his own likeness, those who would worship God by choice. Worship makes room for the miraculous intervention of God in our lives. It was a song in our passage that moved the heart of God to intervene. It was a song in that prison cell for Paul and Silas. And we know from Romans 12 that our worship life is so much more than a song. But, you know, I actually think that sometimes we we quote Romans 12 and we talk about a whole life being a living sacrifice, and it is. And for those of you who know me, I'm all about that. But sometimes I think we disqualify the power of a song when we quote that. There is power in your song. Bible tells us this. And there's power in a song for the whole corporate body, for the whole body. Do you know that if we look at this passage, there was only one front line of singers singing and the whole army received victory. For Paul and Silas in prison, only two singing, but everybody got set free. You know what this tells me? When you come into a service in here, you could be singing up the back of the room and bringing breakthrough for the brother up the front. You could be sitting somewhere in the middle there and worshipping and lifting a shout of praise to God and someone's getting set free down here. That's the way the body works. That's what scripture tells us will happen. Worship makes room for the miraculous intervention of God in our lives, but if we never sing, we may never make room. There is a reason that the barren woman was commanded to sing. In Isaiah 54, 1 to 2, sing, O barren woman who did not bear. Break forth into singing and cry aloud, you who have not been in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than the children of her who is married, says the Lord. Enlarge the place of your tent and let the curtains of your habitations be stretched out. Do not hold back, lengthen your cords and strengthen your stakes. Prophet Isaiah is prophesying a metaphor here, but I want us to lean into it for a moment. Essentially, Isaiah was saying to a woman who had no children, add another room to your house in faith while your arms are still achingly empty. Before you have the baby, add another room to your house to put the baby in. And he's saying, sing while you wait. While you build the room and while you build the space for the promise in your life, sing while you build. Sing while you wait for the promise of salvation. Sing while you wait for restoration. Sing while you wait for your healing. Sing while you wait for your financial breakthrough. Sing while you wait for your miracle. You know, what I'm preaching you today is not just some far off removed passage for me. This is the story of my life. Major moments in my life marked by a decision to lift a song. I remember when I was a teenager, my parents' church split. And I mean a messy kind of split. People that we'd served for nearly two decades, who we loved with all of our hearts, and overnight they stopped talking to us. My parents had to move into state. They took my sisters with them. And I was very broken and disillusioned. I ran hard from God for a few years. What was even funnier, ironic, was that the church split over a prophetic word. (laughs) And I'm someone who's always heard prophetically from God. 
So I must admit, I thought if that's what hearing from God looks like, I don't want to hear from him anymore. I, I don't want to be in church and I don't want to hear your voice anymore. It hurts too much. So I ran from God and that was a very dark few years in my life. And then I remember so distinctly an encounter with a demonic presence that snapped me back into coming back to God. It was so serious in my life, so vivid in my life. I found myself sitting at my keyboard when no one else was looking and I sang my way back to God. I'll never be the same again. I can never return. I've closed the door. I will walk the path, I'll run the race, and I will never be the same again. No one else was watching. I didn't know he was going to bring breakthrough in my life. I was just singing my way back to Jesus. Fast forward a couple of years, I'm laying on the couch in our home. I just had my second miscarriage, weeping because there was a TV show on about premature babies and one of the babies on there was about the age of the child I'd just lost. I was weeping on the couch and the Holy Spirit came close and said, Stacey, can you still sing to me? To be honest, I didn't know in that moment if I could. He drew me to the piano, sat there on my own, just me and Jesus. Give and take away, give and take away. I will choose to say, blessed be your name. I didn't even necessarily believe what I sang in that moment. But I was lifting a song that was illogical, but God found irresistible and he flooded the room. Fast forward again another couple of years, I got four kids, six and under. Sitting in my kitchen on the floor going, oh, good Lord, help me, please. And the Holy Spirit comes close and he says, if these are the only four people you ever lead in worship again, are you okay with that? So I gather my little chickens around the piano. I teach them how to lift their hands. God, I look to you. I won't be overwhelmed. Give me vision to see things I can do. God, I look to you. You're where my help comes from. Give me wisdom. You know just what to do. And the five of us, we sang our little hearts out. It was illogical. God found it irresistible. First year of COVID, I was the other mother. My kids were driving me up the wall. I was homeschooling four kids in different grades, trying to hold down a full-time job and living in a 5K ring of steel. It was good days, people. <clears throat> and I just said to my two middle sons, look, just take $20 and go to the fish and chip shop and just get out of my face for five minutes. And then my phone rang three times and I didn't answer it. And then there was a knock at the front door. And it was a man who said, you need to come quickly. Your son was on his bike. He's been hit head on by a car and emergency services are on their way. And we got in the car, we drove up the road and I literally ran down the middle of the road. And when I got there, the ambulance people were, paramedics were working on him. 
It was covered in blood. It was cars stopped, people everywhere. And it was, it was terrifying. We ended up in the hospital in the middle of COVID. So you're in there on your own. You can't have family in there. He needed uh, five surgeries. He needed some parts of his body reconstructed. It was really full on. And as we're waiting for the surgery, he looks at me and he says, mom, am I going to die? And we're in a room that had three other people just behind sheets, right? And the Lord says, can you sing over your son, Stacey? Oh, so are you weary and troubled? No light in the darkness you see. Well, just one look at Savior is life more abundant and free. Son, just look up. Our help is on the way. And turn, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Let's look full. Look full in his wonderful face, and things of earth will grow strangely dim. Oh, as we turn, turn our eyes upon him. I look down, he's fallen asleep. And then all these people leaning around curtains, <laughs> like, hi, hi, yep, yep, tips, you can put your tips here. It was illogical. To God, it was irresistible. Recording a second year of online services for all of you, you're welcome. <laughs> Sitting in my car in the car park, oh God, is this really what ministry is? I'm tired. I don't want to keep doing this. I reckon I'm about done. I miss my church, sick of staring down a camera, trying to pretend that everything's okay. I don't know if I can do this much longer. And he comes close. He says, can you sing on behalf of the church you love so much? Can you lift a song on their behalf? I sat in my car. Come on, my soul. Now don't you get shy on me. Lift up your song. Because you've got a lion inside of those lungs. So get up and praise the Lord. <laughs> I wonder, is there anyone in this room today who's maybe sensing that your victory is on the other side of a song? Maybe it seems illogical to you. Let me tell you to God, it's completely irresistible. Thank you for joining us for this message today. We don't assume that every person listening has a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And so today we invite you to begin following Jesus as your Lord and Savior. The Bible teaches that every one of us has been created for a relationship with God. Sin has separated us from that relationship, but God loved us so much that He gave us His one and only Son, Jesus Christ. Jesus lived, died, and rose again, conquering sin, Satan, and death itself. If we believe in our hearts that God has raised Jesus from the dead, and we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, we will be saved. So if you are ready to pray in faith, turning away from your sin and believing in Jesus for your salvation, please pray this prayer. Dear Jesus, I believe that you are the Son of God, and I ask you to forgive me and cleanse my heart from all of my sin. I receive by faith the free gift of eternal life, and I ask that you would fill me with the Holy Spirit. 
I thank you that I am born again as a child of God and that you have made me a new creation in Christ Jesus. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. If you have prayed that prayer for the first time, we would love to know and help connect you to a local church in your area. You can contact us on our website, numa.church. Thank you for listening.